Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. That sounded a bit uh, ominous or something, didn't it? Hope you're well. But I do genuinely uh, hope you're well. I meant that because, you know, there's still a lot going on out there. Football has given us a bit of an escape. Football has taken some of the focus off of what's happening, but we've all got to be safe and sensible and cautious. And, uh, you know, I hope everybody out there is uh, safe and healthy and well and doing okay, uh, all things considered. This is the first Arscast regular that we have had for a little while, or at least it feels that way because of how frequently the games have been happening. We've been having a lot of uh, extra Arscast extras or Arscasts extra. I'm not sure what the official plural is. Maybe we'll have to get on to, uh, what's the Johnson's English Dictionary? Not Johnson's. The Oxford English Dictionary. Who the fuck is Johnson? Did, is there a Johnson's Dictionary? I'm not sure. I'll have to Google this. Johnson's Dictionary. No, there's Johnson's Baby Powder. Diction, a Dictionary of the English Language by Samuel Johnson. So it did come from somewhere. Somewhere deep within my memory banks, which are, I have to say, at this moment in time, absolutely and utterly fucked. Anyway, look, the point is, it's an OG arsecast. Friday, we're all here, we're preparing for what is a big, big game on Sunday, a North London derby. And what an important one it is. I mean, this is a game which always uh, gives you a kind of visceral feeling. I'm not sure you can say they're always the most exciting games. Sometimes they feel a bit torturous to sit through because you've got that feeling in your stomach how you you just simply do not want to lose this particular fixture. Sometimes they're exciting. Sometimes they make you want to throw up. And you really, really want to take all three points, but at the very least, you want to make sure that you don't lose. And I think that is very, very true of this game coming up on Sunday. Three points would be amazing. One point, it's a derby. These things happen. But this is the first derby in which Mikel Arteta has been Arsenal manager, and it is, of course, the first derby in which Jose Mourinho has been the manager of Tottenham. It's like a coming together of two really terrible things. It's like a duet between Maroon 5 and Phil Collins. It's the football equivalent of taking a big gulp of orange juice just after brushing your teeth. It's like having your entire life 
narrated 24 hours a day by Fletch and Steve McManaman. Which is to say, it's a, it's a thing of unspeakable, ghastly, terrible evil. We are the good guys. They are the black chasm at the, at the center of the universe. And we must overcome. So this is a, this is a very, very, very big, important game on Sunday. To think there were people that wanted Jose Mourinho to be manager of Arsenal. What is wrong with you? For shame, I say. For shame. I know we were all in a dark place at the end of the Emery era, but come on. Come on. Anyway, it didn't happen, which is good for us. And uh, hopefully on Sunday we can continue the recent run of pretty good form that we've been on. Uh, you know, we, we had a, a midweek result, which wasn't ideal, but in the circumstances... Uh, you know, given that we were down to 10 men, you know, it's all a bit fucked up there. But before that, four straight wins, three of them away from home, which is an issue that we've had. So it's nice to see that being addressed. And there are some uh, obvious uh, improvements and things to be encouraged about by the work that Mikel Arteta is doing. So to talk to me about that and to talk to me about lots more besides, I'm delighted to welcome to the Arsecast our good friend, Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy. Hey, Andrew. How's it going? It's going okay. How's it all going with you? It's going all right, you know. Um, Another day, uh, you move on with life and, you know, football is kind of helping us along. Yes. Nothing to complain about. All right, that's good. Um, I, I want to start by asking you just uh, your general thoughts on how the last few weeks have gone for Arsenal. Obviously, the early part of football returning didn't go particularly well. The Man City game maybe wasn't one that we were expecting to win, but you know, on the night some other things went wrong with injuries and red cards and what have you. And then there was the the Brighton game, and um, that was not uh, in the plan whatsoever. But since then, the response has been very encouraging. How, how have you have you viewed what's happened and the reaction Mikel Arteta um, has has got from his players? That's a really generous way of, way of putting it, how you described the Brighton game. Yes. Not in the plan. Yeah. <laughs> Just write that one off as not in the plan. Um, uh, it's funny because, uh, you know, like like most football obsessives, you know, in that in that uh, approach, if you like, to, to restart, it's a bit like, I, I guess, that moment when you're um, about to go on holiday or something and you're full of anticipation or you're maybe about to get on the plane and you haven't kind of sat down and buckled buckled up yet mm. like spent a lot of time looking at you know when the fixtures came out took that took one look at those four away games that, to start with and thought oh you know this is interesting and that Brighton one just straight away to me looked like the vital one because it I was fully prepared to give Man City the first game and think and you know it's that's a pure bonus territory match um you just want to try and compete and look like the team's looking okay. But I, mm. I, don't, I don't know about you, but I wasn't really expecting no. uh, points from that. No. So I thought, okay, Brighton is where you, where you really restart Arsenal. So go and get something there and then gives you the chance to take on, you know, another kind of this sort of away games that unfortunately Arsenal have become accustomed to it not necessarily going that well. So when the Brighton game went as cataclysmically as it did um including that extra injury which felt really damaging uh and the kind of way we were able to assess people's reactions for better or for worse 
um, it, I, I, it suddenly felt like it was going. You know, it was potentially if Arsenal didn't respond well, which was highly possible, that the, the whole kind of restart period might have been a real drag. Um, so the, the manner in which Arteta and the players turned it around quite radically, I think, has been splendid. Uh, so much. Uh, credit in the bank, extra credit. I think Arteta and, and the way the players have responded to what he's trying to do, they'd already built up quite a lot of credit in the bank pre mm. the pause of football. But the the specific response to the specific set of circumstances after Brighton, it's almost like a an extra booster, um, I think, to that credit that they're building up. Because it's so easy to look from the outside in and see what they're trying to do and how it can get results and how there are lots of little things that have improved and ratcheted up um, to create a sort of sense where actually it's a team that hopefully is putting in some habits to take into next season. Whatever happens this season, I think that this period is giving us good habits. Um, which are really, really needed because mm. uh, how many bad habits had, had the club and the players and the squad slipped into kind of pre-Arteta? Yeah, I mean, isn't one of those bad habits simply the away record and the inability Absolutely. to get results away from home? So to, to go to Brighton, uh, you know, lose to Brighton, lose to Man City, two away games. But then you've got Southampton, which is a difficult place for Arsenal mm. to go or has been a difficult place. You've got to go to Sheffield United, who have been one of the, the best teams you know, outside the top six or inside the top six. You know, they've surprised uh, people with how well they've played and how well they've been organised. Not an easy place to go, uh, as we found out earlier in the season as well. You've got to go to Wolves. So to go to those three places and win, uh, you know, is I, I think is uh, deserves a lot of credit, and also, like you say, it is part of correcting what has been wrong. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, I still wonder what kind of Arsenal we're going to be looking at whenever the first game of next season might be. Mm. I mean, when you look at the squad as is, it's it it, it feels. In- Entirely unpredictable. I mean, apart from sort of a few positions that you'd probably put your, uh, you know, put your hat on and say, I'm absolutely certain that that player will be there and will be a centre p- part of uh, of what our test is building. There's still a lot around the, uh, the edges where you, you could see it going either way for a player. Um, yeah. And I mean, just look at Mustafi, for example. I still find I'm, I'm kind of in awe of Mustafi. I kind of would love to know more about psychology to understand what he's done. Mm. Because from the position that he was in, in August, where the manager comes out and publicly says, you know, go and find yourself another club, not even privately, but publicly. I mean, that's, that's quite embarrassing. And to have, to have had a situation where he's come out subsequently and explained how um, difficult it was personally, when you're going through, bad period on the pitch and social media and how people react to you and how yeah. you make a mistake. And I think the bit that really struck me was him saying that when he made a mistake, it would be the te- the worst feeling is feeling of letting your teammates down. Oh, I just thought, Oh dear, that's, that's quite rough. That's quite deep. Um, 
because these are people you work with every day. So, mm. you know, the crowd, you can probably, even though it's hard, sort of compartmentalise into a mass over there. Um, but actually going off the pitch, if you've made a mistake and that's cost the game and then your teammates come in and you look at each other, is, you know, and even just looking at yourself in the mirror. I mean, all players, I think, go through this to a degree, even if you're completely brilliant. But, you know, you're going to sometimes have something that doesn't go for you. But um, And, and he's, I couldn't have imagined a situation where, you know, there's a few games of season to go and it's like there's so much confidence in Mustafi at the moment. All right, you can maybe argue that, you know, he made the mistake uh, that that assisted the Vardy equaliser the other day. But I certainly wouldn't put the, you know, not getting the points on his shoulders for that game. No. And, uh, he's been very, very error-free compared to uh, previously in general in the mm. last few weeks and months. And, and, and something of a leader... And playing with a kind of relaxedness, which isn't a very good word, uh, a, a, a confidence and a security that I'm, I'm not sure I've ever seen from him in an Arsenal shirt before. How much you credit Arteta, how much you credit him, how much that's down to what circumstances, I don't know. But I do admire that capacity to have come back from where he was and kind of create a new look, Mustafi. Can, can we sort of tie that in then to... You know, you talk about what the squad is going to look like on the first day of the new season, whenever that's going to be. Um, And Arteta probably has a a vision in his mind or, 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 you know, a recipe, if you like, for, for what he wants from his team. But the ingredients aren't necessarily all there. We know when a new mm-hmm. manager comes in, it takes him a while to put in place the the you know the components that he wants. You think of Guardiola and the fullbacks at Man City when he went in there, you know, the first thing he did after his first season was was completely replenish the fullback positions to play mm-hmm. the way he wanted to. So, you know, it's not unreasonable to think that Arteta And the goalkeeper. Yeah, of course. Uh we'll talk about goalkeeper now in a second. Um but Arteta, it's not unreasonable to think he's got something similar in his mind about what his vision for his team is and the way he wants them to play and the kind of players that he wants. But now he's got to make do with the ingredients that he has. He has to serve exactly. up a, pal- a palatable dish uh, and get results and, and, and satisfy people with you know, an imperfect mix of ingredients, if you like. So, you know, putting putting the back three in place, for example, is a way of of offsetting some of the defensive weaknesses that they have as individuals, but it's working for the team. So I think if we're looking at, you know, Mustafi's redemption, Louise to an extent, uh, you could go back and include Granite Xhaka in this as well when you think mm-hmm. ab- about where he was when Mikel Arteta took over, which was, you know, a foot out the exit door, maybe, you know, a foot and a half a leg as well, uh, depending mm-hmm. on some of the reports. Like w- what he's doing with this group of players who have had uh, issues and uh, maybe were slightly traumatized by what had come before. Um, I know we can look back on those first two games after restart and be, you know, unhappy to to a certain extent. But but since then, I think the response has been really, really positive. It, it has, and I just was thinking when you were saying that, I wonder how it would be in the stadium with fans in, because mm. they're doing this kind of on their own, if you like, or in a you know in a more um, 
uh, intimate group. You know, it's the it's the coaching staff and the players yeah. and each other and what they've got going. So if you know wh- when they're celebrating moments or they're getting results, it's it's a, a thing that you're doing with the guys that you're working with day in day out. Now, I wonder how it would be if there was a crowd to acknowledge them as well and recognise. You know, the, obviously the crowd reacts when things doesn't go don't go well. Yeah. But it would be quite nice for the, those players who have had this redemption arc to have that kind of crescendo of goodness from a greater number of people, yeah. which they've been kind of unable to have, which is it's a shame in a way. Um, you'd like to think that there would be lots of. Uh, uh, good moments, uh, kind of communal moments that they, that can build something, that connection that you need. I think if you're going to be successful, you need to have a connection between the crowd and the and the the team that yeah. is quite solid. It's quite difficult to do that without that. Um, even looking at someone like Bukayo Saka, for example, and to think that he's not been able to be lauded in the same way by mm. a big crowd for the kind of signing of his contract and all the great things he's doing. I mean, has, has, he, has he got a song yet? Did he Did he have a song pre-lockdown? I, no, really I don't think so. Remember one? And you're like, don't come think... on, yeah. this guy needs a song. But it's not really a capacity to get a virtual song no. down and recorded and pi- sent through the pipes or whatever. But Yeah, we can live without that part of it. But yeah, I mean... It's all these little bits. It's, it's just interesting. They're experiencing this revival just by themselves. Yeah, and what strikes me when you say that is that what's happening is predicated on what Arteta is demanding of them, right? So when you hear Arteta talk about what he wants from his team and, you know, the... Uh, the buzzwords um, that we all got used to with with Arsene Wenger, Mikel is is creating some of his own with his non negotiables and and things mm. like that. But it's clear that there is a demand for uh, for the players to work and to work hard. And I think when you talk to football fans, you know they will forgive uh, a player who perhaps isn't the most skilled player in the world, but who gives. 100% on the pitch, right? That's something that fans can really get behind and identify with and connect with. And it seems to me that, you know, when Arteta is talking about the people who are willing, they can get on the boat and they can come with him and, and all this kind of stuff, that, that that is something that would really resonate if there were fans in the stadium, if there was a crowd there. Because what Arteta is saying is, work hard, come with me on this journey and we will achieve things. And now we're seeing them working hard and they're they're getting results and they're playing well, uh, as we saw in the first half against Leicester on, on uh, Tuesday night. It didn't end as well as we would have liked. And, and you could point to the finishing and what have you as being a bit of a problem. But in terms of some of the football that we played, it, you know, that is definitely something that fans in the stadium would react to in a very positive way. Yeah, and actually it was, it's the oddest thing being at the game on um, uh, whatever night it was Tuesday. against Leicester. Uh, what day is it? What, Tuesday. What, it's Thursday now. Yeah, I don't know, you know. <laughs> um, but, and I... Uh, I almost embarrassed to talk about being there because I'm aware of quite how privileged a position we're in to be inside the stadium. But it was, you know what was really weird about it? There were two things. In the first half, when Arsenal sort of suddenly kind of found sort of fourth gear, you know, after the opening goal and creating some really good chances and should have got the second and a lot of players were playing well and there was good combinations all over the pitch and it, it was quite exciting. And I found myself, and I didn't, 
know that you could do this in an empty stadium, but kind of getting that adrenaline and getting a bit carried away, um, (laughs) just like a loser on my own, you know, but (laughs) you could feel, you could feel something happening. And it was interesting, like having this vibe of like, actually Arsenal really playing good football and really dominating against a very good opponent, you know, and there have been some accusations of, uh, uh, at times that, you know, Arteta's obviously made like, you know, some really good progress, but possession-wise, Arsenal haven't necessarily been amazing mm. or um, some of the football hasn't been, you know, sort of first class in that classic way that you sacrifice something offensively when you're trying to tidy up the, the, the you know, the back end of the pitch and, and the team first of all. Mm. Um, but there was this sort of 20-minute period where it was like, you know, this is, this is good Arsenal, you know. This yeah. is the good Arsenal... DNA that people like to float around as the type of football they believe should be um, what Arsenal are representing. And the other bit that was interesting later on is in that last kind of 10 minutes or so when Nketiah had been sent off. Again, there's no one in the stadium. There's no home fans or away fans. It's just people working and watching. And like the, the tension, I'm like, how can I be feeling this tension? Like, you know, when you're in a stadium and like the tension is so yeah, palpable yeah. because it's like every, it's tension multiplied by six, sort of 50, 60,000. And um, it was odd because I still felt it. And I did think to myself, God, this would have been like really, really tense um, if it had been the crowd there. It's, yeah, I, I just hope we can get everyone back soon or even some people back soon. Yeah. Can we talk about, again, when we we speak about Arteta and what he says and, and the way that he sets out his vision for people and, and, you know, the idea that when he came in, he said, everybody gets a clean slate under me and Xhaka has responded to that. Mustafi has responded to that. Uh, Danny Ceballos, uh, a player who looked like maybe a little bit lightweight, maybe didn't really mm. look like the kind of player we thought we were getting, had some issues with Arteta and he, he sort of put it up to him and, and challenged him. Uh, and he said about Ceballos, he's trained like an animal and he's in the team now and he's playing really, really well. That is, there's something, that connection that you need as a coach or as a manager to get the best out of players, they need to feel like... I don't know whether it's a sense of fairness or a sense of justice or that there is there is this opportunity for them. It's not just a manager saying something in public and doing something differently. Mm. You know, he has said things to players and, and some of them publicly, you know, you've got to do this. And if you do this, you will be considered. And they've done that. They have been considered. Does that create, do you think, a kind of environment, training ground environment, match day environment, squad environment um, that, that players respond to in a positive way? It's good, isn't it? Mm. I think that what's clever about it is not only is Arteta sending out uh, signals to Ceballos in this case, but he's also sending out signals to the whole squad by extension. Because every player who goes up to train every day and is in every team talk uh, understands what's going on uh, in the same way. And you can extrapolate from what's happened to Ceballos and put it towards everybody which is you know mm. i'm not going to give people favors i'm not going to indulge people and we all know who we're talking about here um i'm i am going to be fair and you show me that i can't leave you out or that you've got to be on the bench or whatever yeah you know he's not 
he's not picking Saka every week for a laugh. He deserves to be in the team. Yeah. And at the moment, he's not picking Ceballos. Because, you know, if anything, if you've got a lone player who's got you know a handful of games to go, unless you're in the position where you desperately want to buy them, they desperately want to come, and you know, there's a, you think it'll really help to convince in terms of contracts. And you know, if there is, if Arsenal decide to keep Ceballos, they've got to factor in um, the money that is going to be required to buy him full time, presumably mm. from Real Madrid, unless they. Uh, organizer kind of you know another year of loan which sometimes happens but you know i kind of think once you've had some for someone for a year especially if they're of the kind of age that sabios is either you want them or you don't unless mm. they're so outstanding that that's the only way you can keep them at yeah, your club yeah. and you know that they're going to go back to real madrid and be a star there for the next 10 years but but that's not really sabios's case but, I, I, you know, I think it, it's understandable if you think, well, I'm going to play someone who's going to be here next next season. But he's playing the guy who he feels is going to get him the best performances at the moment. And Tobias has responded brilliantly. I, I think the way he's played in the last few weeks, did you see that coming? Not sure. No. I'm not sure we ever saw quite that level of performance. No. There was, I... He was always a bit of a flashes player. And then you think, well, where is he and what's he doing? <laughs> yeah. I've been. Um, I have to say, I've been really impressed. He seems much more disciplined. Yeah, he's uh, still got a good energy about him, but it seems to have much more of a sense of team purpose rather than I'm just going to bandy about all over the pitch and yeah, you know, do my bits and pieces. I mean, I have to say, I've been extremely impressed not only with the level of his performance, but his commitment and his willingness to do that kind of a work. Because, as you say, he's a Real Madrid player. He doesn't know. Maybe he. Maybe he does at this point. Maybe there is something worked out, but we're not sure about it. But. You know, he doesn't know if he's going to be playing for Arsenal next season or where, indeed, he's going to be playing next season at all. He might all. be playing for neither Arsenal or nor Real Madrid. Of course, and maybe there's an element of, you know, this is a guy putting himself in the shop window to an extent, which we've seen in the past with, with certain players. <laughs> Nevertheless, you can't argue with the way that he's worked and the way that he has uh, performed on and off the pitch and, and has responded positively to, to what Arteta has, has asked of him. Um, conversely, we have an issue with, with Matteo Genduzzi. Some uh, details came out via France Football uh, this week about the, the row that supposedly happened where Arsenal were unhappy with him goading Brighton players about the money that he was earning. And he says he was only sticking up for Bernd Leno. And, you know, they wanted him to apologize. He's refused to apologize, etc., etc., how do you view th- that situation in the current context of, of this season where a player, by his own unwillingness to uh, to apologise, to do what is expected of him by the manager who is trying to instill discipline across his squad, um, is basically making himself unavailable for selection when we need as many fit players and healthy players as we can get? It doesn't look great from his long-term future point of view at Arsenal. But I think when you consider how Arteta has projected what he wants, um, you know, you just said it yourself, when we, we, we really get the feeling that Arteta is being very fair, is giving people that, you know, that chance. Uh, get on the boat or don't, but everybody's welcome to come and get on the boat at this moment in time. Um, so it feels some, you know, sometimes with a row, you know, there can be two sides of the story and this and that, but it does, it does feel a little bit weighted, like somehow Granduzzi has taken a position. And 
you know, I'm I'm all for players having personality, having strong opinions, and you know, being passionate about what they believe. And I think if you too much uh, try and smother those things, it doesn't always work. And you just only have to think of the likes of Ian Wright and Robin Van Persie and and and, and Charlie George. Depends how far back you want to go, but mm. the club has had a history of some great players who have been maverick characters with a bit of a, a unpredictable and sometimes coaches have to take a view with those types of players that so you have to give them a bit more rope. Um, they're going to need a slightly different kind of emotional uh, uh, environment to maybe the one that you would give everybody else, but it's worth it. Um, I mean, George Graham sort of, I think almost famously just kind of almost let Ian Wright do what he likes and didn't try and overcoach him because he was such an off-the-cuff player uh, that he, he he recognized that it was going to be counterproductive. Mm. Didn't try and make him be too, uh, you know, um, much of a stickler for the way he behaved because he knew that Wrighty almost needed to G himself up and be a bit wild and expressive. And that was him. And if you, if you take that away, then you take away some of the player. Um, but... I Arteta has already, in a short space of time, earned that trust that I think we have to back his judgment, even if you think, well, maybe he, should he be giving Gendouzi another chance? Or um, I kind of feel like he knows what he's doing. If he's made a judgment call on this kid's attitude, mm. uh, I think he's earned the right for, you know, you have to let Arteta do his thing. And they will solve it within the club and its hierarchy in the best way they possibly can. Mm. If that means trying to rake in as much money as they can for a young player with potential who someone else thinks they can handle the temperament with, that's what might, might, might happen. If this is part of a greater punishment that he might learn a serious lesson from and come back from, if the door is still open, then then he'll have learned in the best way possible. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out that disciplinary measures aren't necessarily just punishment. You know, there are, you know, particularly with young players, it's a way of helping them uh, develop and correct their course and, and to learn and to improve them as players and as people, which I think is a sort of more holistic view of what football managers and football coaches do. But, you know, it's not just punishment for punishment's sake. Um, and I know the point you make about the the previous characters that we have uh, have had at the club. Um, I'm not sure we've really seen enough from Matteo Genduzzi on the pitch to indulge that kind of behaviour just yet. So um, we'll wait and see what happens and see what way Mikel Arteta deals with this. You can never say never. Um, we've used uh, uh, Granite Xhaka as a great example of that. Um, yeah. uh, and football can surprise you in terms of how quickly things turn around and, and opportunities can come as well um, via injuries, via suspensions, where really a manager has no choice but to turn to a player he might not necessarily want. And, and from there, you could get some kind of uh, reconciliation. But look, let's see. Um, I, I want to talk to you about Emmy Martinez. And it's amazing to think that he is, I don't know if he is the longest serving player at the club right yeah, now. He is. He yeah. is. You know, 10 years he's he's been at Arsenal. Um, we've seen him in flashes. He's had some loan spells, which you expect for a, you know, a young goalkeeper to go out and get uh, playing time. 
a lot of those loan spells didn't go particularly well until the one he had last season at Reading, where he played with with a fair amount of frequency and and really enjoyed it. Um, have you been surprised at at the level of performance that we've got from him, considering he is now is he twenty six or is he twenty seven? I can't remember exactly how old he is. I should Google um, this. Um, you know, and and you know, for a guy of that age, uh, he's twenty seven, so I think he's the same age as Bernd Leno. And Bernd Leno has played hundreds and hundreds of first-team games in his career, and Emmy Martinez, you know, is is just above fifty thereabouts. Um, there's, I know it's uh, there's a sort of short-termism to a lot of analysis these days, and he's only played five or six games, whatever it might be. But there's already people talking about, well, actually, you know, maybe Emmy Martinez could be the number one. Maybe we could cash in on Bernd Leno, et cetera, et cetera, which I know is premature, but that's sort of um, representative of, of the way he's played. Honestly, uh, when you asked before, are you surprised? Um, I'd say the answer to that is, is yes, a little bit. And I, I kind of base that slightly on just general chats with people who know a lot more than me about the players that are coming through uh, either youth or, or reserve level. And I would say that the view from most people about Emmy um, was, you know, lovely guy. Absolutely, people think the world of him. Top human being, uh, but maybe not quite good enough. Seemed to be the the gist of kind of how he was generally mm. perceived, and maybe that was reflected in, as you say, the length of time that he's been around and gone on loan and not really staked a, a serious claim. Um, and I'm fascinated in a way by how he's come in and sort of taken this opportunity because I think there was, uh, he, he's, you know, he, he's, he seems to have this, uh, this lovely confidence, which is a great thing to have as a goalkeeper. But in a way you need to see if he can sustain that after a, a problem or a yeah. mistake. Cause what he's not really had yet is a bad, really bad moment. Um, and again, whether crowds and scrutiny and that kind of stuff, uh, is a factor or not, nobody can tell. But I would be loath to make a, a serious judgment based on, you know, to say he should be number one or, you know, go and sell Bert Leno or go to yeah. some extreme reaction based on what is still a handful of games in the first team. Uh, admittedly, he's performed, you know, outstandingly well. Um, I think he has a great presence. He's quick around his box. Uh, he's making good decisions when to come and when not to come. His handling looks very secure. Um, he holds onto the ball, you know, like I, I loved how he went and uh, uh, ran out at Adama Traore. I know that that wasn't, you know, technically a save, but he put him off and, it, you know, that takes a bit of balls really to yeah. run a, a guy like that. I think even if you're the size of Emmy Martinez, but it, it's been a great period for him. But again, being a boring old historian, I would maybe go back to Alex Manninger in 1998. <laughs> who came into the team and that was a team that won the double. So there was pressure on to win stuff. It's a slightly different situation to where Arsenal are right now, but he had to come in for David Seaman. He was a young goalkeeper with a, you know, um, a lot of uh, promise. Um, and he played out of his skin for those six or eight games that he came in. He was absolutely tremendous. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember having a particularly good game against West Ham in the FA Cup and against Man United at Old Trafford, which was a famous victory that went a long way towards making sure that title went to 
Highbury and not to Old Trafford. Um, and he didn't quite become the you know the great goalie that it looked like he might be in those in those uh, cameo appearances. So I, without wanting to sound like a bit of a kind of sit on the fence bore, I would just urge a little bit of caution. Say enjoy what Emmy is doing. Uh, it's great. Everybody's delighted for him. And, and if he carries on in this vein, he does present uh, a serious question as to who should be number one. And let's deal with that question when the time comes. But I just am so glad that after what looked like such a horrific injury to Bernd Leno, first of all, it was not as bad as all that. Um, and he's up and about. And, you know, by all accounts, there's no real, real reason why he shouldn't be fit for the start of next season. Uh, I'd love that competition. Mm. I think that can only bring out the best in both of them. And probably, Bernd Leno didn't really feel that his place was under threat before. Mm. Maybe it's going to make him push himself a little bit harder. Who knows? Mm. Okay. And that's not a bad thing either for both of them. No, definitely not. Um, can I just ask you about squad building again very quickly before we move on? Just look ahead um, quickly to the North London Derby um, and just some of the comments that Mikel Arteta has been making about the need to improve the squad he's obviously talking in a very positive way about his players right now but he's made it abundantly clear that for Arsenal to get back to where um, we supposedly or reportedly want to be in terms of the overall ambitions of the club squad improvement is is absolutely vital um, and has not been well, sort of skirted around the edges of, of kind of putting pressure on those on high at executive level to make it happen. Uh, and it strikes me that he will have a very clear idea of what kind of players he wants and what kind of players that he needs to play the kind of football that he wants, etc., etc. Have you been encouraged by how forthright he's been when it comes to that side of of what needs to be done at the club? Because, you know... If we go back to last summer and we 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 think about uh, what happened in the transfer market, Unai Emery wanted Wilfred Zaha, uh, who is a uh, right-footed player with Premier League experience who plays on the left. He really, really wanted him. So Arsenal went out and bought Nicolas Pepe, who's a left-footed player who plays on the right, who's got no uh, Premier League experience. Um, it didn't really Can speak... Can I ask a question? Can I ask yeah. a question? Yeah. Who who do you think was right? Just because Unai Emery wanted one thing and yeah. he got something else. Does that mean that Unai Emery was right in wanting Zaha over Pepe? I don't... Or do you think that the that the Football Executive Committee were right to overrule the, his preferred player and choose the one that they chose? If you were asking me which player I would choose, I would have chosen Pepe over Zaha. If, right. You know, if there was... Huh? Yeah. So on the one hand, you're saying what you really what you want and it's a, there's a little bit of this about perceptions and how as fans or people outside the inner circle we are uh judging the people making the decisions and when it's emery i think it's because in the end he he didn't have the best time you can probably turn around and say you know i'm quite glad that the football executive got what they wanted and not mm. what he wanted but when it's arteta and at the moment arteta has tremendous 
goodwill and backing of everybody. Sure. Uh, and looks like he's making a lot of good calls. You want them to say, okay, well, actually, can we maybe go with Arteta's choice? Because, you know, may- maybe when you guys chose player X or player Y, I'm quite carefully not naming names here, um, you know, people might have preferred somebody else. Um, so I think in the end, the, the, the key thing is this. Uh, somewhere there has to be that relationship between what the manager or coach uh, uh, identifies as his preferences and what the uh, football executive might be leaning towards. And mm. I'd be absolutely fascinated if there's a difference of opinion sure. to see uh, if the sway or the it, whatever is any different to how it was previously. Yeah. I mean, my um, point was just uh, about sort of a cohesive strategy between absolutely. the manager and the and the executive team. Like Emery wanted yeah. one thing and they went out and bought something completely different, yet continued to back Emery vehemently, even when things were going badly, despite the fact that they, in some way, uh, have a responsibility to... Uh, not giving him the tools that he wanted to do the job to the best of his ability, if that makes sense. Uh, I think ultimately the football executive, executive uh, unless you're in a a very specific situation, like say your manager is Jurgen Klopp, and you know, I don't know what the deal is there in terms of whether things have come in on his say or the, the, their um, purchasing team's say or a combination of the two, but. There is a there is a danger on the one hand of if you only get the the player that that manager wants because that manager might not be around for very long. You have to get the right player for the club. You have to. Sure. Now, if the if the coach um, is someone that you rate their opinion in a massive way and you're really hopeful they're going to be around for hope, ideally a bit longer than you know. 18 months or you know, one, yeah, two yeah. years, whatever the average is these days for a turnover of managers, then great. You, you try your best to work together and, li- and, and try your best to deliver what he wants. But I don't think it's rocket science to an extent what he's likely to want. And I don't know how able the football executive committee are going to be to deliver all the things that really is needed. There's a lot needed. And, we, and I think everybody knows that, that there are upgrades in most departments that would be welcome. It's not easy to get them all the time. Um, no. But if you look at the spine of the team, okay, we just talked about the goalkeeping situation slightly. But at centre-back, William Saliba is coming in and everybody's dead excited and that's brilliant. And hopefully that turns out to be one of the great deals of all time. <laughs> but he's hopefully. still a teenager who hasn't played in the Premier League and probably needs you know, somebody amazing next to him to really ease his transition and help him to develop into the player everyone hopes he's going to be. Is that player at the club? No. I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. Not really. So if we're talking dreamland, you'd probably be getting an outstanding leader, but also brilliant player who doesn't make mistakes, really dominant centre-back to play next to Saliba, and then maybe the rest of them fight it out to be kind of picks three and four, possibly five, who are going to get plenty of game time anyway because that's the nature of football. Yeah. If you look at the central midfield... Is the guy or guys there that you really, really, really want to be your your midfield pivots? No. Right. So not in my opinion. Anyway. I, ideally, you're bringing in one or possibly two, making some changes there, and obviously some also stick around who have been doing mm. really, really well and will be part of the, the the squad and playing plenty. 
Um, centre forward. Fascinating area for me, this. Uh, is the centre forward there to play the Arteta system that you really, really, really want? Is there a world-class centre forward at the club? Absolutely, there is. 100%. But, uh, you know... It, uh, it is playing the centre forward role as Arteta sees it his best position. Because I looked at the work that uh, that Lacazette was demand was expected to do because <laughs> Mikel Arteta just yelled at him for kind of pretty much. I heard that. We could hear that in the television. Laka, Laka, I mean, Laka, Laka, Laka. <laughs> I mean, and it, I didn't think it was a kind of ticking off sort of shouting. It was an encouraging shouting as that yeah. has came across to me anyway. Um, but I think there was this sense almost from Arteta that like, that guy has to do that job flawlessly or like as good as damn it what he wants like be in that right position to make sure that three big bloody annoying centre-backs to play against are troubled and are not sitting there having a kind of you know they, they've got to be yeah. aggravated pretty and on that you know put on their toes like all the time that's a real it's a bit of a thankless task and if you're asking someone to do that and Lacker does it quite well albeit with lots of shouting um that makes it maybe more difficult for him to be a predator at the same time. Mm. So his goal scoring stats are not amazing at the moment. If you put a Bamiyang in that position, you might get more goals, but is he going to do that kind of like relentless bastard press? <laughs> the bastard press. I like, you know, I know. For, uh, <laughs> you know, be in charge of that. You're the man. Yeah. That's your job. You've got, you've got to be, leading the way you're just going to be help hopefully from the guys on either side of you and the guys in midfield and you're not the only one but you're sort of setting the tone and is that going to bring the best out of over so, so it's quite a specialized role and if you really want someone to do that really well with amazing energy and be so annoying for defenders and score loads of goals mm. does Arsenal have that player at the moment mm, maybe not maybe I, I don't so I'm, it's I'm, interesting yeah. it's just all food for thought in that I kind of imagine that Arteta probably has people in mind that he would love in those three spinal positions. Yeah. yeah. Again, with the caveat, it's a squad game and, you know, you can make a case for lots of people staying and still being really important around that. Sure, sure. I mean, it is well, one of those... compromising slightly, so... Yeah. I mean, okay, just sort of going backwards slightly on that then you know to the to the initial question about recruitment and about what what the manager wants um i think edu who we haven't heard a great deal from um when the contract renewals were announced um where they extended david luiz where they brought in cedric suarez uh, and pablo marie officially uh, on a permanent basis he spoke about sitting down with Mikel Arteta and having a plan about the kind of squad that they wanted to build. So how do we how do we um talk about what reconcile. the club wants? Yeah, how do we reconcile that thing, you know, with what the club wants? How involved does the manager get in you know, like Edu is the technical director ostensibly 
you know, he sets the tone for the kind of football that Arsenal want to play, whether it's Mikel Arteta in charge or somebody else. You know, is is that not basically his job? But of course, Arteta is hugely involved in setting out this plan because I think the way he wants to play is probably very different from the way Unai Emery wants to play, whether we're going to get some kind of Wenger, Guardiola, Barcelona hybrid mix of whatever he's got going on in his head. I don't know, but (laughs) it doesn't sound bad to me at all either, to be honest, but it's just about implementing that. And is that then going to be the blueprint for Arsenal, you know, if Arteta is not in charge somewhere down the line. So it's it's trying to find this balance between, you know, what is it that the club wants to be and how much of what the club wants to be is being informed by what the manager wants the club to be. These are very difficult questions. I guess there's, there's, I think there's a certain idea of what the club wants to be, but it has to be a flexible one. You cannot be a completely blinkered. I mean, if you're Man City now, for example, or there are certain clubs that are so much a reflection of their coach and that coach's philosophy. Um, Klopp also with Liverpool, they've become very wedded to one another. Uh, And that was the case, obviously, for a long time with Arsenal and Arsene Wenger. I think there are certain things you can have. It's a kind of a generalistic view of what you want your club to be and how you want your players to to play and look. Mm. But you have to have uh, a bit of looseness there too. You have to have a bit of um, freestyle around that to fit around certain managers' or coaches' ideas as well. It's a, I think this is, the whole thing is about compromise. From Arteta's point of view, he's probably never going to get, unless things are, work out in a way that we don't really expect, his dream squad. Mm. that maybe Klopp has or maybe uh, Guardiola has because he doesn't work for one of those clubs that are going to say, you know, here's as much money as you want virtually to get the top guys that you want in certain specific positions. They're going to make all the difference. Mm. You know, here's gazillions to get Alisson and Van Dijk because it's going to transform Liverpool's defence. Let's just do it. That's probably not where Arsenal are at the moment. So he has to compromise a little bit there. Um, and maybe Arsenal have to, will have have to make some compromises along the way if Eddie does have a master plan of what he thinks Arsenal should be um, in terms of it might be a bit different with a Wenger, with an Emery, with an Arteta. Like, everybody's got to cross their fingers and toes that Arteta is the kind of guy who's good enough and who's got the intentions to be somewhere long enough to to do what I guess what people call a real project rather than be a kind of be your coach for a bit and then go on to the next thing. Mm. If he can see in Arsenal and they can, and he trusts them enough to back him to do the best that he can in the same way that, or similar way that, that um, Klopp was backed at Liverpool um, to improve, improve, improve over a period of years. If you think, if we think Arteta could be in it for the long game for a kind of five, six, seven years, then that backing's got to be there for him, really. Mm. And, and but if it's going to be a shorter s- situation, which is more common in football, then there has to be that compromise and flexibility from board level two in terms of who they're buying. They can't only buy very specific Arteta players, if that makes sense, unless yeah. they want to get them anyway. Yeah, well, I, I I have to say I think it's I, I'm encouraged by by how demanding he is, not just of the Me players, too. but absolutely. But, I mean, I I kind of feel, and you know, when they talk, when sorry to interrupt you, but it's okay. When 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 
there were discussions from Arteta's part about how, how you know these are the guys. Uh, you know, I've got clear ideas about the specificity. I can't say that word um, of the of the players that he wants to come in. You know, it, he made that really clear. And Eddie, when he spoke recently, discussed how well he got on with Arteta, and they got this shared kind of vision, and they liked mm. talking to each other about football. And he made it sound like there was a big synergy there. Um, it you know maybe that there are certain things that had to happen to enable other things. So, for example, if you had the question mark as to whether re-signing David Luiz was the best use of Arsenal's money, for example, rather than maybe others, or um, you know, if there are certain mm. certain players where you maybe go, hmm, you know, do, do, do you know, do, do Arsenal? desperately need you know is for example Cedric Suarez the best thing that they could do for that position for the next four years or whatever if you want to ask yourself those questions about it might be I'm totally speculating here that there's a bit of give and take going on so it's like we're going to do these ones because they're here and they're easy and we can do them um uh, and we believe in them you know but we're also going to get you x and y and z Mm. So you can't, Arsenal are not in a position to get, you know, the the best guys in every position right now. Of course, yeah. Because there's too much competition. There's not enough brilliant, brilliant play, players. And Arsenal have to be creative and lucky and smart and, and do a mixture of things. So Sacco is a godsend because look at what's turned up on our doorstep. Um and you know, someone like Gendouzi, if he, it might be if he does go and he generates some money, but he was bought in at a very low price, and actually it might turn out to be a stupendous deal if they get good, good cash from him from someone else and then reinvest that into some somebody that they might not have been able to afford. Martinelli is another one that just looks like a, a you know a diamond that has just come out of nowhere. Um, uh, you know, some you, but you've got to have some people in your squad that are. Uh, you know how to put this the nicest way, and that's Monreal. Dependable, you know, consistent, a, a really dependable guy who might not be the world's best, but he's going to be good around the place. He's going to do a job for you when you need him, and he and not make a stink. Be a solid, fantastic pro, mm. uh, and it all works. And he's not going to cost the earth. Mm. So it might be that there's things like that going on in one on the one hand because that enables them to act in a different way on the other hand to be more ambitious where it's really needed to try and get those those transformative players Okay, just very finally, um, you know, I, I suppose we could speculate all day about what kind of front three Mikel Arteta will pick for the North London derby. Uh, with Eddie and Kedia probably suspended, we're waiting on a, a, a an appeal to be decided upon. I don't think there's a chance he's going to get off on that, to be honest. Um, but you never know. But we do have the ability to mix things around a little bit. Arteta didn't necessarily sound like he was too keen to move Aubameyang from that left-hand side. So uh, chances are he could use Lacazette there again. Aubameyang, Nicolas Pepe could come back in. You know, he's got plenty of options for him there. But just the game itself, um, overall, Arteta understands Derbies. He understands the North London derby. He played in many of them um, as an Arsenal player and as an Arsenal captain. This is his first one as Arsenal manager. He will be absolutely desperate to get a good result here. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, 
uh, if you think of the progress that's been made since Brighton, as we said, uh, if Arsenal can get the points from this big game on the weekend, um, I think that just shows a huge upward trend and it's brilliant to go in there on the back of some away wins as well you know at at places that have proved difficult obviously there's a specialist element to this I think that probably the biggest factor is that uh, it doesn't take a genius to imagine that um, Tottenham's manager will send them out to be um, smothering and negative uh, maybe make it more difficult and not necessarily come out on the offensive and you know, and the way that some other teams would do when they're at home yeah. um, or previous Tottenham teams would have done against Arsenal uh, I, I think he'll be looking to you know to make it a, a, a you know a, a sluggish a slugfest a bit of a slugfest really uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if Arteta can get Arsenal to impose their game on that situation mm. but you know it's I agree with you the fact that he knows what it's all about is handy I think Freddie Jungberg can have a few choice words for sure he very much knows what it's all about um, and uh, you know even the likes of Bukayo Saka understands he's played in Derby's all his life he knows yeah um, but it's uh, it's a massive game I think now because I, I still think Europa League is, or as a minimum, sort of Euro- European um, aim is going to be helpful. And yeah, he's clear about that, isn't he? That he wants, he wants European football. Up, you know, the higher up you finish in the league, there's a financial imperative there. You get better, better money out of that. It's mm. just, you know, everything, all the building blocks that are going towards having a kind of proper go at something next season. Um, a lot. In a way, when you think back to the nightmare of Baku, sorry to bring that up again, but it felt like so much hinged on that to do with the next season, wasn't it? It was like, yeah. if you win and you get back in the Champions League and you get all that extra money and status, and then you can do this in the transfer market. And then there seemed like this whole um, domino effect about uh, about that that was uh, as much to do with following season and relaunching a club as it was to do with actually winning a piece of silverware. Mm. And... I think this situation is related in that the higher up the table Arsenal can finish and the, you know, the more money they can generate in doing so and, and getting back into Europe um, as well in any capacity has that slight knock-on effect of helping the club, I think, try to move forward more efficiently and with a bit more courage. Well, you know, moving forward off the back of a, a win over Spurs is always something we can get behind. So we'll, we'll keep fingers crossed for that. Amy, a pleasure as always. Thank you very much. Cheers, Andrew. All the best. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Thank you, as always, to Amy Lawrence. You can find her on Twitter at AmyLawrence71, at AmyLawrence71. She writes for The Athletic, and you can hear her on the Handbrake Off podcast uh, via The uh, Athletic as well. So check that out if you're looking for more Arsenal stuff to listen to. Right, normally we would do a little bit of team news here ahead of the derby, but there isn't really any yet. It hasn't dropped, so we're assuming everybody who is fit remains fit. Those who are available remain available. Those players who weren't necessarily available for the last few games for whatever reason, whether it was indiscipline, whether it was a back injury, are not going to be with us for the North London Derby on Sunday. It feels almost redundant talking about the game itself in terms of what we expect or what we want. Everyone listening to this, all of you, you know what's a good result for Arsenal. You're all keeping fingers crossed for that. So let's hope some of the form and some of the stuff that we've shown over the last few games can be continued in this game, that we can take more of the chances that we create, continue some defensive stability. And hopefully, when we look back on the game on Monday morning, we are having a very, very goodly morning on the Arscast Extra. Please join us for that. If you want to give us a rating review on Apple Podcasts, that would be swell. Don't feel obliged, just if you want to. And you can join our Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Have yourselves a great weekend. Until the next one, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Center circle looks to spread it wide. Oh, it's a free kick there for Leicester City. Looks like ooh, quite a bad foul there by the Arsenal player. Just seeing some replays here. He could get a yellow card. Actually, it looks like uh, looks like he didn't touch him at all. It's it's a dive. Yeah, we can see here he's quite clearly dived, but the referee has taken out the yellow card, and it is a booking for the Arsenal man. Just um, just getting word here there's going to be a VAR check on this. VAR having a look. Yep. Seeing the replays here from a number of angles, of course. Um, more replays here we're seeing. Just a few more replays here. As good a time as any to get some uh, input here from our friend Steve McManaman. Steve, what are your thoughts? As always, a uh, very good point there, Steve. Four minutes later. Referee now is going over to have a look at the pitch side monitor and he's looking. He's still looking. Looking at the replays. Replay. And from that angle you can clearly see that 
the Arsenal player didn't touch him at all. Referee has made his decision. He's coming. It's a red card. It's a red card for the Arsenal man. Steve. Uh-huh. As you can imagine, Mikel Arteta is uh, very unhappy there on the sideline, but play is back underway. Leicester moved the ball down the left-hand side. Comes to Jamie Vardy. Vardy facing up against Mustafi. Vardy here with the hammer and uh, crucifix. He has literally crucified Shkodran Mustafi, getting the old uh, spear straight into the side there. Look, you can see... Mustafi's intestines spilling down onto the pristine turf here at the Emirates, the Grand Staff. Oh, they do an amazing job. They really do. The life is fading from Mustafi's eyes there. You can see he's about to pass into the next world. Jamie Vardy takes the ball into the box. Shoots. It's a goal for Leicester City. 1-0. As Mustafi feels the sweet, sweet release of death, Jamie Vardy adds to his Premier League goals tally. Will there be a VAR check? Will there bollocks? 